When the church was looking for volunteers to lead the Sunday services this summer, I tossed my head in the ring. I have done something like this before, so it seemed like the right thing to do. However, I come before you today with more than the usual nervousness. You see, as I advance in age, I find I need more reminders of what I've committed myself to. <clears throat> so as soon as I volunteered for this task, I typed in an entry into my phone's calendar for today that said, Tom runs the UU church service. Except that I did not type those exact words. I typed something slightly different, but a whole different meaning. What I typed actually was Tom ruins the UU church service. Let's hope these words are not prophetic. So onward from that. As he once reflected on his life's journey, Mark Twain wrote, the two most important days of your life are the day you were born and the day you figure out why. I know the first, I'm still looking for the second. It is often said that life is a series of decisions, the result of choices made, and no doubt our conscious choices do make a huge difference. However, when I reflect upon my life, I am struck by the impact of those events that I did not choose to happen, some of which were very good, some were even great, especially meeting my lovely wife, Rebecca, for example. Unfortunately, some of these events were unwelcome and even awful. My journey began when I was a child growing up in Memphis, Tennessee. You probably figured out I'm not from around here. Uh, I attended a Southern Baptist church, as did everyone I knew practically. I attended regularly and I was indoctrinated into that version of faith. However, fundamentalist Christianity had no staying power beyond my youth and I paid no attention to spiritual matters until I was in my 40s. I met somebody outside today that said he'd been in a secular mode the last 10 years. I thought that was a good way to put it. I was in a secular mode virtually my entire adult life until my early 40s. But Rebecca missed having a church family, and she also felt our son Matt needed some religious exposure. So we became active in a United Methodist Church close to where we lived in Northern California. Just church town to be, turned out to be a very progressive and open congregation, which welcomed all people regardless of their beliefs or lack thereof. Joining this Methodist church turned out to be a blessing because nine months later, my 29-year-old stepdaughter, Cindy, died in an auto accident. This was a shattering, heart-rending loss to our family, especially Rebecca, her mother. During such an awful time, having a church community was a great comfort. My stepdaughter's death was a watershed event for my faith. In the years after Cindy's death, I read many, many books on faith and spirituality. I explored many sources, Christian, Buddhist, Hindu, Muslim, Native American, secular humanist, and if there are any others, i just forgotten them. In the process, I typed out 50 pages of disorganized notes, which produced a lot of bulk, but very little enlightenment. Lo and behold, fate delivered the opportunity I needed to sift through these riches and notes and extract what was meaningful. It was not a welcome event, but opportunities to grow in spirit are often not welcome events. They come along at inconvenient times and in threatening ways. 
Such was certainly the case with me in this next great leap in my spiritual journey. When I was 56 years old, the doctor said the following words to me, you have a tumor and it is malignant. Now, I'm pretty sure many of you have heard these or similar words. If so, I suspect you will agree with me that when you hear them, the baggage of your life just fades away. And as you contemplate your mortality firsthand, Author Robert Fulcom states it very well with these words. He says, as a minister, I am familiar with the occasions when the recognition of your mortality suddenly brings you to some high place where your life is spread out before you. The ordinary flow of life stops and you see your existence as a whole. You make some decisions about what gives it meaning and what takes away from a meaningful existence. I found myself on this high place that Fulgham refers to. The ordinary flow of life stopped. It really extraordinary began to happen. Within a few hours of hearing about the cancer, I was enveloped in a massive cocoon of positive thoughts, prayers, good wishes. This abundance of loving support was beyond anything I could have imagined. And it produced in me a profound sense of gratitude. This feeling of gratitude was so strong, I could almost reach out and touch it. Gratitude overwhelmed all other emotions, including the anxiety and fear that are a natural part of the cancer experience. Well, as you can see, I did not die from the cancer. However, the tumor did cause a nerve injury in my lower spine, and I was immobilized for several weeks. This immobility turned out to be a great blessing as, it had, as I had time to ponder the experience with cancer, review the 50 pages of typewritten notes I referred to earlier, and draw some lessons from it. And I will share those lessons with you. First, first lesson, lesson number one, most important of all, love is the most important thing in the world. To love and to be loved is the essence of a fulfilled life. You cannot give or receive too much love, and I have been much blessed in that regard. Second, kindness is how we should act toward others and ourselves, and we should try to make this a full-time occupation. Third, we all have souls, and there is a divine spirit, a source of love that somehow connects all of our souls to each other. I have no idea how this works. And I, but I do believe in souls that live on after we die. Fourth, that fountain of divine spirit is accessible to us, and we can use it to make the world a better place. Finally, we can make the world a more loving place by sharing our spiritual gifts, our blessings, and our deepest selves. Now, for 20 years, these principles served me well, and armed with them, I resolved to live a more meaningful life, and the path forward for me to do so fell almost effortlessly into place. I volunteered for a counseling program at my church where I received 50 hours of training and listening skills, which as my wife will certainly agree, I really needed. I sat with many men who were going through a crisis, listening to them share their feelings, encouraging and supporting them. Some of those of you with a Christian background might recognize this program. It's called Stephen Ministry. I also volunteered at an agency that helped the homeless in our community. I put my listening skills to good use to hear, and I heard many disturbing life stories. Working with the homeless was an eye-opening 
experience like no other I did before or have done since. Most important thing I did, however, to lead a more meaningful life was that three days after my stepdaughter's funeral, I joined a men's faith sharing group, and for 20 years, it was a wonderful source of loving friendship and spiritual growth. I was the leader of that group for eight of those 20 years. So fast forward, and we're now in 2015, and I was on a roll. I had been blessed with a gift of grandchildren. I was living the good life, and God was in his heaven. I thought I had things figured out, that I was in control of my fate. Then it all came crashing down. May of 2016, my youngest grandson, Alex, age 12, was diagnosed with a sarcoma in his leg. Alex had the best of care, fought bravely for two and a half years, enduring grisly bouts of chemo, painful surgeries on his leg and lungs. He was in and out of the hospital endlessly, it seemed like. There were good and hopeful times. He was in remission for several months in 2017. Really neat things did happen to him. I'm pretty sure this is not a big event that many of you noted this past week, but on Thursday night, the Golden State Warriors won the National Banks Basketball Association Championship. They were led by a young man who was the MVP and has been the league MVP several times. His name is Steph Curry. If you don't know about him, you might want to read up about him. He is really an outstanding, an outstanding person in addition to being one of the best basketball players that's ever lived. But I'm only talking about Steph Curry because at one point Alex did get to meet Steph Curry. I actually took the trouble to get to meet Alex and spend some time with him. That's the type of person Steph Curry is. But in the end, all the finest medical care, all the best energies of love, all the best hopes of faith could not prevail in those two and a half years of trying, and Alex died. It may take me a while to get through this next part. The impact on my spirit was devastating. Alex's death was heart-rending, earth-shattering. It is not a loss. It's a loss you cannot understand or make sense of. And that is a big problem for me because I always, you know, I always wanted things to make sense. For those of you who haven't lost a child or grandchild, I cannot adequately convey the depth of the anguish and the heartache. For those of you who have experienced such a loss, no description is necessary. One definition of grief is that love is, is, it is love with no place to go. And the depth of the grief is a reflection of the intensity of the love. I don't apologize for tears. I used to. I loved Alex in a special way that I did not know was possible. I will always love him that way, and I will always miss him. Alex was a remarkable boy, very sensitive to others, and filled with compassion way beyond his years. <sighs> the
There are many layers to the loss of a child or grandchild, but one that applies to my story is loneliness. The path of grief is one that you must walk alone. Sure, your spouse, your loved ones, well-meaning friends, not all friends, well-meaning friends, and especially other grieving parents can help you along the way. But in the end, you must make a decision, a conscious decision on how you will live the rest of your life without your lost child. It is a path that you did not choose, but it is the path that Jesus has placed you on. That's where I find myself. For a long time after Alex was diagnosed, I entered a spiritual wilderness when it was a feeling of being adrift deepened when he died. I severed some relationships that I regret losing because of an intemperate outburst. I was barred from the homeless services agency where I was volunteering. I left my men's face sharing group, which had been such a support to me for 20 plus years because a lot of the guys in there were new. They did not know me. I did not know them. Some of them wanted to give me advice and tell me how to feel. Gradually, however, I did come in from the wilderness and began to engage again in life. I realized that I'm still a husband, a father, a grandfather. I still have one grandson as a junior at Purdue this coming year. I have a friend to many, hopefully. I'm a citizen of the world. I have responsibilities. What I do matters. I make a difference. Ultimately, I decided that I will not allow death and sorrow to have the last word about Alex's life. After Alex died, I went back to that statement of beliefs that I shared with you earlier. I still give my heart to love, to kindness, to sharing, and to the communion of souls. In fact, I am more firmly convinced about the existence of souls than I was before Alex was, got sick and died because we had signs from him after his death, which we felt were messages to us that he is okay, he's not in pain anymore. He's running around like 14-year-old boys should. One of, those, one of those beliefs that I no longer embrace, however, is the existence of a divine source of good that connects us to one another. I'm much more comfortable with the notion that if there's any good that's going to be done in this world, it's gonna be done by us. I don't think there's an external reservoir of spirit to draw. I mean, there may, there may be an external reservoir of spirit to draw from, but I'm just not sure about that. I'm still holding that in, you know, in abeyance. <sighs> Events like the recent mass shootings make me doubt that even more, make it harder to believe such things. I still have some work to do on my desire to have things make sense. I'm not sure why I have this problem. Uh, as I've gotten older and long, I'm, I, I'm very comfortable saying, when people ask me questions, I'm very comfortable with the three words I don't know. In fact, I probably answer that's the answer probably used more often than any other answer to just about any question I asked. In fact, but in fact, by definition, just about any faith, definition you choose, faith cannot exist without uncertainty. Nevertheless, I cannot completely shake the need for explanations. Unlike my stepdaughter's death, the path forward to a meaningful life after Alex died, a life that will honor what he stood for has not fallen easily into place. This was three and a half years ago that it happened. I worry about this because I'm 75 years old. I don't have a lot of time. 
However, I will say that I am optimistic about this church. We did join last August, and in spite of COVID, we're making connections here. I wanted to start a men's covenant group here last fall and volunteered to lead such a gathering. Unfortunately, there wasn't enough interest shown, so I just put that on the back burner. It didn't stay on the back burner for long, though, because I met and encountered a human dynamo by the name of Carol Manny. I met with Carol, and I told her I wanted to lead a men's group, but there was insufficient interest. Well, to Carol, of course, she replied, well, the hell with that. Uh, and then she got busy, made some calls, sent some emails. For all I know, she probably accosted a few guys in the hallways. And voila, we got a great group of eight men that has been meeting twice a month here at the church since February, which is incredible. I thought it might take us a couple of years to get to eight men, but we, we're already there. Like a few more members, we're open to that, so talk to me if you're interested. I'm giving, uh, maybe this group that I'm part of can help me with my need for things to make sense. Maybe it will help me find the way forward that I'm looking for, or maybe the way forward will happen and stumble onto me. Referring back to Mark Twain's quote at the beginning of this, uh, the day will come when I find out why I was born. That's my journey, that's where I am. Thank you for listening to me today. Amen. So, wow, <laughs> goodness, I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> Thank you. Wow. <laughs>